welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. Okay, hi everybody. Um, It's me, Becky Scott, back with Sam Gadsden. Hi, Sam. Hi, Becky. Hi, everyone. Um, Today, me and Sam are talking about the role of the doula and specifically um, the fact that we um, don't uh, replace a midwife. And so we're looking at the do's and don'ts of of what doulas do and don't do. So Sam, um, have you come across any instances um, where people might think that uh, we do the same sort of stuff as midwives? Um, yeah, I, I get the impression that many midwives think that free birth tending doulas or want to be midwives and we're just there acting as midwives but without any medical training. I've been told that I should have told my clients to phone an ambulance, should have told my clients to have antenatal checks, told it's illegal to act as a midwife because, you know, I don't know that. When I go to a free birth, I think, <laughs> yes, I'll just break the law today, you know, and, and I don't know. I, I don't think that there's a general understanding that free birthing women are not interested in a medical model and they don't want doulas who are going to come along and do all of the things that midwives do. They don't want that stuff at all. So I've actually had had a midwife say to me quite openly, I don't know if she had no idea or what, um, you know, oh, I expect you've palpated loads of babies. Never, ever, not even my own actually, but there we go. Have you had that? Uh, yeah, quite recently. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right in terms of that it tends to happen more so with free births, um, because obviously they're the births when there isn't a midwife there, there's no health professional there. And so, yeah, I think like you, the midwives tend to think that the um, birthing person is looking for a replacement midwife, whereas actually it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, obviously, you just put the example there of palpating um, the client's stomach. What other sort of situations um, have you know, you come across personally in terms of you know what might be um, considered a doula's role in in the eyes of a midwife? I really, honestly, don't know. I don't know what they mean when they stop me in a hospital corridor and say, "Oh, you know, it's illegal to act as a midwife." I'm like, <laughs> "What? What is it that they think I'm doing that is acting as a midwife?" I'm, I'm really not entirely sure. You know, I don't know if they think that we do vaginal examinations or I, I genuinely, honestly, don't quite know. And it's so, it sort of, so it sort of comes from a place of ignorance, really, and that they and, and naivety that they actually don't understand the role of a doula properly. So what they're, they're making some massive assumptions that what we do is like being a midwife. Yes. Yeah. And I think also there's a my personal opinion is there's a massive assumption that I think so many healthcare professionals, not just midwives, consultants and obstetricians as well, are used to telling birthing women what to do and birthing women being compliant with that, that they think that if they're not there telling people what to do, then we must be telling them what to do and be giving them medical advice as well, which, you know, we don't because we're not medically trained and and they're not looking for medical advice from us at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, some of the other things I've come across are um, asked if I check the placenta. Um, (laughs) 
asked if I'd examined a woman's vagina after labour, after birth rather, um, and asked what APGAR scores the baby had when they were born. So obviously these are really medical things that are in the remit of the midwife, but definitely not in the remit of a doula. No. Because obviously you require medical training to be able to do those things. And also with my clients who've had unassisted pregnancies, so an unassisted pregnancy is where they don't have tests or scans or they just don't do anything, you know. Yeah. Why didn't you make her have antenatal care? Why didn't you make her? Why didn't you phone an ambulance? And I'm like, yeah. well, it's not my role to phone an ambulance because if I said to my client, I'll tell you when you need to phone an ambulance or I'll tell you when you need to go in. I'm making a judgment on where she is in her birth, which in my opinion is, is, is forming a medical opinion. What I say to my, my clients is they have to decide if they do want to go in or if they do want to phone an ambulance or if they want to phone a midwife. And it's not for me to tell a woman that she has to have antenatal care. If she chooses to decline antenatal care, it is for me to support her informed choice because that is what I do. I don't know about you, but a lot of the women who find me are looking for somebody to support them because they already want to sit outside of the model being offered to them yeah. by the healthcare professionals. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. And I think obviously um, that's, that's just compounded by the way the system is at the minute. And like you say, it's a system where women and birthing people are expected to do as they're told and conform. Whereas, you know, there are plenty of people that may be classed as high risk that want to um, have home birth, whereas it wouldn't be recommended in medical terms. But like you say, they're sitting outside of the guidelines. And so they want to have someone there that is going to be respectful to their wishes and not be telling them that it's unsafe and, you know, they should be going to hospital. I mean, the, the more I learn about birth, and, and as you know, I run groups, I think there's over five and a half thousand members heading towards 6,000 members in my groups now. I am beginning to think that the biggest risk to birthing women and birthing people is iatrogenic or medically caused harm. So I'm beginning to think that the level of trauma inflicted on birthing people and birthing women in the name of saving birthing women and birthing people is too high. That yeah. it's not that we're expecting one woman to sacrifice herself that yeah. we are expecting hundreds of women to sacrifice themselves to save and, and the mental health, the PTSD and the trauma. Goes. So why, why anybody thinks that doulas would want to become a part of that, but without the training is, is just beyond me. I, I just, yeah. yeah. And I want to make it clear because Becky and I are being quite negative here that <laughs> neither of us think that there's not a role for medical help in birth. We both acknowledge that there is a role for medical help in birth. Absolutely. It's just that, the balance is tipped too far the other way yeah That's kind it, of is that, it is that thing that obviously the medical model is there to help um people that need that help but the problem is that um you know it's become the norm and it's become expected that women should do as they're told and we the you know the system is basically undermining women in their ability to make decisions and you know and that really it is it's just a negative isn't it and it's not going to help the um medical profession because it just puts people's backs up you know it sort of pushes people further away from using services when they come across so much negativity and disrespect for their wishes yeah and unfortunately for the women that i support that is their norm disrespect yeah. for their informed choice in my group 
particularly because my groups are full of people who you know as you know the biggest one is a home birth group they want to sit outside the medical norm they want to yeah. make their own choices and those choices are constantly constantly and incessantly disrespected all of the time from booking in until after they've had their babies and that's why they want to duck out and they, they step away from and they disengage from their care providers um, and it's probably better that they have the option of speaking to a doula and they don't have anybody to talk to at all yeah absolutely know. absolutely so in terms of what a doula does and does not do sam can you summarize what a doula does do okay what does a doula do a doula many doulas do different things but ultimately a doula holds space and provides information so that a birthing woman and a birthing person can make an informed choice around their birth and we then support that informed choice whatever it may be within the Absolutely. boundaries of our own personal boundaries so Absolutely. i might give my client information on gestational diabetes evidence-based resources sarah wickham nice the nhs website whatever evidence-based resource i choose to give her as well as some anecdotal birth stories from women who may have birthed outside of the normal pathway with gestational diabetes what i don't then do is say well here's all the information on gestational diabetes and i think that you should and that's the difference the Absolutely. i think that you should is what isn't there in doula practice yeah. a doula doesn't have an opinion on what their clients should or shouldn't do yeah absolutely and i think obviously another big part of that is um being non-judgmental so it doesn't matter um what that person's choices are because they're their choices it doesn't matter whether we make a different decision because it's not our journey it's their journey and like i always say to my clients you know that doctor that's telling you to do x y and z you know if you do take their advice and do that i'm not saying it's wrong but if you did that you're going to be the one living with the consequences not the doctor so you have to be the one being really comfortable with those decisions that you're making and if it's not what the doctor's told you then fine but you have to be comfortable with it but you know i think that's a lot of the, a lot of it's about um, you know taking responsibility for your health as well and a lot of us in in today's society are scared to do that because it's almost become like uh, well you you know you do what the doctor tells you because they obviously know best um, whereas and we don't question it I mean, uh, a few months back, I took the dog to the vet and I didn't question that he was giving, you know, you know, prescribing certain vet, um, uh, drugs to, to my dog. Didn't think about it until afterwards when I came home and I was like, ah, you know, I, I should have actually questioned that. I should I have did. asked about the risks and benefits and things like that. And that was just for my dog. I um, did. And did I had it? a taste of how birthing women are infantized my daughter had a urine infection now i work a lot with natural remedies mm -hmm. i know that she needed to see a doctor and i knew that she needed treatment that's yeah. why we were in the doctors because i yeah. tried all my normal stuff and it wasn't working and the doctor said i want to give antibiotics and i said i don't want you to give antibiotics today i do want antibiotics i want you to test her urine see what urine infection that she's got because i was aware that there are urine infections that are resistant to antibiotics yeah and the doctor what, literally it was horrendous given that my daughter was there started talking about how my daughter could have sepsis and you oh know she was only eight and you know all of these things until i was so nervous of the doctor and i'm quite strong 
that I thought if I didn't agree to give my daughter antibiotics on the spot, they were going to phone social services and report me for medical neglect. That's how heated the conversation got in front of an eight-year-old. So, and I wasn't declining care. I was asking for it. Yeah. I was just asking for it in a few days' time. So I took the antibiotics. I gave them to her literally against my own wishes as her mother. And then two days later, the doctor phoned, or maybe three, and she's still, you know, um, and how, how's Cara today? And I said, well, she's having her antibiotics, but she's not any better. And the doctor said, well, she wouldn't be because the urine infection she's got is resistant to the antibiotics that we've given her. Yeah. So you've just given her some drugs that actually weren't helping her at all and, pop, and completely yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. And absolutely against my wishes. Um, and in a very, you know, that, that coercive language that they yeah. use with birthing women. And, I, and I'm very strong. And, and that's the impact it had on me. And that is how birthing women are treated just on a day-to-day -day basis. If they try to decline yeah. stuff, that's the kind of stuff they're subjected to. And it's not okay. And no. the longer I do that, the more I speak out against it, and the more I don't understand why anybody thinks they might want to act as a midwife. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, and that's not to say there is one midwife. You know, Becky and I have both got some really nice, really lovely midwife friends, NHS Absolutely. midwives and independent midwives. It's not everybody, but I happen to know that those women, those midwives, those mi women-centred midwives, themselves get told off within the system and yes. disciplined within their trust and, and bullied yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and told not that they shouldn't be supporting those women's informed choices i was at a birth where my client had declined to go in for a long placenta and mm -hmm. the hospital was phoning every 10 minutes trying to get the home birth attending midwives to persuade her to go in so on top oh of God. the fact so you know, and that's how the midwives were being treated because they, they couldn't force her to go in, you know, and they acknowledged that. They were, we'd like you to go in, but we can't force you. And the hospital, every 10 minutes, that midwife's phone was ringing. Yeah. And that well, this is the thing. It's like they, they understand that they can't make you do anything, but what they'll do is make it so hard for you so that you have to do it. You know, that's that's the other tact, isn't it? Just it's it's the bullying tact, the coercive side of things. It's like, okay, in one hand, I'm going to say you can make your own decisions. And in the other hand, I'm going to say, but because you're not making the decision I want you to, to do, this is what's going to happen to you. So it, it's manipulation, isn't it? It's horrendous. It's, it's just, it's getting to the point now, and, and COVID has made it worse, that I, I did a, a poll, a brief poll, I've blogged about it. We had 257 reasons not to home birth and 11 reasons to. You yeah. know, some of that was duplication. So one woman being told multiple reasons not to home birth. But it is a, that is, based on my experience of supporting women who maybe want something slightly different, that is the norm. That is what every day. Hundreds and actually, you, you sort of, I mean, I've realised definitely here where like the priorities lie in the trust, because like you were saying there, a million reasons why not home birth, whereas actually what we know is home birth is just as safe as, as going to hospital, if, if not more so. Um, and actually, um, you know, if you look at the amount of trusts that have shut their home birth services down completely, it just goes to show that what they're doing is prioritizing high risk medicalized birth over home birth. Um, you know, there are some, obviously there are quite a few trusts that aren't doing that. And I know in the Midlands, Leicester home birth team has been the only one that's been running um, and, and ha, ha, you know, actually vocally talk about their priority in supporting, um, you know, low risk home birth, home births. 
um, and wanting to keep them that way rather than forcing home birth women to go into a medicalized um, environment and, and potentially um, catch a virus. Yeah, and I know midwives who don't agree with the closing of the home birth services as well. So it's not just us or women, yeah. there are midwives out there who are not happy that yeah. women are being dragged into hospital against their, against yeah. their wishes. So, so we've sort of we've sort of veered off a little bit back into the free birth and coercion conversation. It seems to be a running yeah. theme at the moment. <laughs> um, so just going back to the role of a doula. Okay, so we've obviously what you said was perfect, Sam. In that you know we hold space for women um, and birthing people. We um, give them uh, information so that they are able to make informed decisions, decisions that are right for them. Um, and we advocate for them. We, we you know, we uphold those um, decisions. We, we try and, um, you know, support them best we can through the process. Uh, and so the things that um, we um, don't do is anything medical, no medical clinical stuff whatsoever. We don't advise, we don't diagnose, and we don't give um, opinion or try and manipulate anybody to make a specific decision. I've recently been um, accused of encouraging free birth, yeah. um, <laughs> which is um, considering how many births I've attended and actually only two of them have been free births. It's just a bit ridiculous, really, um, because uh, uh, um, anyone that knows me will know that I support any type of birth. And, you know, if, if a cesarean section is right for somebody, then I'll support that. If a home birth is, is right for somebody, then I'll support that. Um, and I do think, like you said, Sam, is that there's this, there's this real thought, um, um, I don't know where it's come from, from midwives that, um, you know, we are encouraging women to do certain things. And, you know, like you've already said, it couldn't be further from the truth. I've been also been accused of encouraging women to free birth because especially because I've set up a group, but I did that because those women were coming to me. They were Absolutely. coming to me for this information. And what has happened was I literally couldn't field the number of inquiries that were exactly the same. What are my legal yeah. rights to free birth? What happens if there's a postpartum hemorrhage? And you know, what happens if there's a postpartum hemorrhage starts with just for anybody who's listening and gets the wrong idea, phone 999. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's where I started with it. And in the end, it was just, I was having so many of the same questions. It became easier to set up a group because otherwise I was just constantly, like literally message after message after call after call, saying the same thing repeatedly over and over and over again. Those women were looking for that information. And yeah. us giving them the information that they're looking for is not encouraging them to do it. No. it you know. That's part of the problem, I think, with, with the medical system and the, the NHS and, and, and any kind of um, healthcare professional is that, um, you know, they are so used to telling them, telling people what their recommendation is and this is the path you should be taking, that what they forget about is that there are alternatives. You know, uh, it's the whole, um, well, the only option for you is, well, actually, no, because you always have an option. Um, and I think that's, that's, half the problem is that um for the fear of someone making a different decision the medical professionals are not giving all the options so free, free birth has always been an option but it's never spoken about or suggested by a medical professional i think that many healthcare professionals have lost sight of what birth is and i think that many more 
are frightened of birth, particularly in a consultant-led unit. And a consultant-led unit is unfortunately a self-fulfilling prophecy because a lot of what happens leads to a lot of what happens. And I think that a lot of healthcare training now around birth is risk-aware and risk-averse. And I don't actually believe any longer that there is evidence-based practice because there have been so many small studies into so many small things, induction for this, induction for that, induction for the other papi, gestational diabetes, post-date, small baby, big baby, yellow baby, orange baby, pink baby, purple baby, day with a Y in it, but there's no baseline anymore. So nobody, yeah. I don't even understand when they do, so take the big baby study, for example, now where a computer is supposed to decide whether a woman gets induced or doesn't get induced for a, for a big baby. A lot of the women that I speak to are being asked to go onto that study already been completely terrified about having a big baby oh your baby's so big oh you need an induction you know so then if the computer says no you've already coerced that woman into having an injection or you've already frightened her and furthermore how do you know what the outcome is because that's not there's no like blind baseline you've already had to have that conversation with the woman and tell her her baby is enormous and that human bias comes into and when you layer all of these different studies in what is causing what i don't even think is possible to unpick and that's why women are turning away you know because when they ask for a study nobody can give it to them you know what i say to, to, to women who are i say to oh i have to I say, you don't have to prove anything you can ask for that information and yeah. they have to give it to you and the fact of the matter is most healthcare professionals can't yeah. They can't give women good evidence-based information because it doesn't exist anymore that's my actual yeah genuine opinion how do we know what the risk of going over 42 weeks is anymore when we're inducing 40 yeah. percent of women exactly they don't allow people to go over 42 weeks so how could you measure it so it's, it's it's that whole thing isn't it it's the whole breach breach birth isn't it as well it's you know i know in our trust they, they um there was uh, you know very few midwives that are actually experienced in breech birth because it got to a point where they're like no it's not safe to have a vaginal breech birth you must have cesarean yeah. and so that's what happened and so the practice is gone and it hasn't then been passed over to the newer midwives and so now when people maybe want to have a vaginal breech birth there are no experienced midwives to support them um, and it is coming back it's, it's undergoing a revival vaginal yeah. breech birth yeah. um, and I had a client who went she wanted a vaginal breech birth and she went to three different trusts spoke to three different senior midwives and had three different results of who yeah. was willing to support what there was no consistency whatsoever I think that is, again is um, really important point because um, people will go to uh, or speak to a midwife or a healthcare professional and they will tell them x y and z and that person will go away thinking that that is the standard or yeah. that is the law. Um, whereas actually what people don't realize is that the trusts have their own individual policies and guidelines. There's obviously you've got guidance from the Royal College of Midwives, from um, NICE and WHO, um, but they're not forced to follow that. And actually that's quite general as well. So in terms of the specific running of the hospital, that's very individual to trust. And so you can get trusts, like you say, that will, be more than happy to accommodate vaginal breech births, but then you'll have some that said, no, all vaginal breech births are cesareans. So, uh, and we found that a lot actually during um, the pandemic, you know, the way you can, it's really told, um, well, it's told me quite a bit about um, other trusts and our trusts and how they run. 
because when you compare it across the country, it really was quite a 50-50 split in terms of who was still running home birth services and who wasn't. And so it just Wales. goes to show it can be done. Wales didn't actually close their home birth service down at all. Only, no. I mean, only one of the trusts for a very short space of time yeah. did that. And the rest of them carried on with, with home birth. And, yeah. and if Wales can do it, then everybody could have done it. And exactly. we haven't got any home birth teams. We don't have home birth teams here in Wales, which is a whole nother <laughs> yeah a whole other yeah. issue that's different across the across them um, england as well um sam because there are certain areas with a dedicated home birth service and there are those that don't have a dedicated home birth service but it's run by the community midwives so yeah slightly different in in different areas but again that just shows you how different it can be from from trust to trust so just to get back to what doulas do and don't do, because obviously that's like the theme of the <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> we love to, to, to just go off on tangents. Um, all good though, all good conversations. Um, so um, yeah, I think a lot of this, um, in terms of my experience, comes down to not, uh, not knowing what a doula does i believe that a lot of midwives feel very defensive against doulas because they feel that doulas are doing their job um and um i do think that for those trusts that have spoken to doulas and cared enough to find out a bit more about what we do then they have a greater understanding and actually are able to form really good relationships that will that only go to supporting the birthing people more because there's nothing worse than turning up to a hospital and you find you know there's a frosty reception with a midwife that doesn't really understand the role of a doula and doesn't really maybe agree with it um, in terms of that you know potentially could affect the care that your client receives. Do you yeah. see, do you, uh, you come across that at all, Sam? And I think there's a general sadness as well, that for those midwives who know what the midwife role should be about advocating and supporting, that yes. they're sad, that yes. they can't do. And there's a, a sadness, and, and in some cases, they're almost like a professional jealousy that they, you know, no midwife came into midwifery to practice like this, to practice like they're practicing now. Yeah, I agree. And I think they would like to be doing a lot of what we're doing. They, they would like to be the people tucking them up in bed, staying yeah. there and having a takeaway after birth, being around to make sure the baby's feeding, you know, or you're a breastfeeding counsellor, I'm not. So if that, you know, I can tell, I've breastfed for 10 years, I can tell I'm a peer supporter if a baby's feeding uh, or if they might need a little bit of help or yeah. just to be there for the family and that continuity of care that we provide that, know that they can't do and i think that causes a level of discord for them as well i don't think yeah. it's just and that's um we just touched on the continuity of care i think is a major factor um in for example when you've got a midwife turning up with someone that they've never met before and they're having to build that rapport with them and you know they don't know they haven't got that um trusting relationship with that person so um that really um might affect what kind of care that person gets well let me tell you a true story of being a doula who's not acting as a midwife but spotted something yeah is i was driving i was actually at the dentist and i was driving home and i've got bluetooth in my car and my phone rang and it was my client and i didn't recognize her voice all i can say is she sounded different yeah okay? 
and she said oh you know I think some, I've got these pain the midwife's told I've got these pains and it was very early and, and the midwife told me to go and have a bath and I said okay and I put the phone down and I was driving and as soon as I was off the phone and I just had that time to think I knew that she was in labor and I knew because her voice changed right yeah. all it yeah. was was the tone of her voice and that's what you get from continuity of care exactly. that's my change and I phoned back and I said I'm on my way to the hospital get to the hospital right and then you know what happened when we got there was I could see very clearly that she was in active labor but the hospital has to follow its protocols so instead of being seen rapidly we had to wait for it and we had to have examinations and we had to, and I'm looking and I'm thinking when did common sense fly out of the window? You know, yeah. she is very clearly an active labourer. You don't need to be a medical professional. I think any person on the street would have known that. But the hospital still had to do their tick list checkbox. Because that's what they look at all day, is a tick list checkbox. And rather than sitting and being with the woman and watching the woman, and, and you know, that that's what continuity of care is. And like you said, it's not the role of a midwife now. The role of a midwife is to sit in front of a computer, tapping away, tick boxes, and you know stick a couple of fingers up a vagina every now and again um, and we have midwives here who practice continuity but only because sometimes they're, they're a bit sneaky and they they sneak <laughs> appointments in and stuff and, and things like that and they shouldn't have to do that and we know that continuity of care leads to better outcomes you know for some reason women who have continuity care have less small babies and i yeah. personally believe that the reason for that is if you get to know your midwife and you go to see it and you're a bit peaky and a bit pale and you're not looking quite right then she knows because she knows you she doesn't yeah. need a blood test or uh, she's met you six or seven times and she can just tell. Same as I can just tell. Same as I could tell by a tone of voice. That's the kind of thing where we can work on instinct, but, you know, we're not going to do a blood test and, and find out. But I can, you, you know, you, you know if you meet your friend, you know yeah. she's not looking yeah. right or she's having a down day. And those are the things that I think midwives would really like to do. And that's yeah. what medical should be about, this mini medical nurse thing. And obviously not all midwives are like that. And we do have areas like Liverpool and Angus, the Angus Home Birth Team, where they do practice excellent continuity of care. And they have amazing, incredible outcomes. I don't want anybody to think we've got to download on the whole thing. But it is a very mm -hmm. coercive system yeah. for, for people. You know, just the lack of, I don't know, like my clients who have caesareans, they, they're top, you'll know my clients who have a caesarean, they sat on the water topless. Yeah, they, they're skin to skin in their baby, the baby's got no clothes on, they've got no clothes on, or the baby's tucked inside their little top there, or inside a shirt or whatever. And, you know, the midwife's going, don't you want to dress that baby? Don't you want to put that baby down? And you're like, they're like, no. Skin to skin my baby and the rest of the ward is all dressed with their little babies in their little plastic things and then they wonder why they can't go on with breastfeeding you know it's yeah. the whole holistic picture that we can provide that should be provided by the nhs yeah absolutely totally agree it's actually their job so just to wind up the conversation here <laughs> otherwise we'll go on forever um <laughs> So takeaway um, from this podcast is that, you know, doulas are there in, a, in an emotional and practical support for birth, pregnancy, um, signposting, advocacy, um, but not clinical stuff of any type um, and not to give advice and not to manipulate, coerce, suggest, you know, any kind of input of our own opinion doesn't happen um but we are there to support and um hold space and to uphold that person's wishes 
And just one point I'd like to make would also be that, you know, doulas are really, really, really keen to work with midwives to support yes. women. We have a joint goal of, you know, happy, healthy, mum and baby, positive outcomes. That's our joint goal. And if we work together, um, then, you know, we can achieve that. We can help our clients to, to achieve that and to have real positive birth experiences, whether that's a cesarean or hospital birth or home birth, um, you know, whatever their choice is. Um, have you got anything to say before we go, Sam? Yeah, we are very keen to work with midwives. I think that's a really important point. And we do. And I went to a beautiful birth where there was two midwives, two doulas and Anna, a birthing woman. And we were all in a circle dancing and she was in the middle and we were all just swinging around. Oh, her. lovely. Perfectly, perfectly doable. Yeah, we can do yeah. these things if we want to. And yeah, that, that barrier doesn't need to exist. No, so we have our role and midwives have their role and we should all be able to work together yeah. without the blame culture that's going on for everybody. Absolutely. And also just to say that I know for me personally, and I think every doula I know is quite happy to chat to a midwife about what we do. Um, you know, many, many um, doulas have spoken to their local trusts about going in and talking about what we do, dispelling the myths, building relationships. And, you know, I think it's only going to make things better if we can promote that really. Absolutely. I agree. Okay. Oh, fantastic to um, have been speaking with you again, my lovely Sam. And um, you Right. I'll <laughs> well, say goodbye for now and uh, speak to you again on the next podcast. Okay. Bye, Becky. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.